rise if you would and give attention to the voice of your Savior. God's word comes to us in the words of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to read verses 1 through 10. This will be text for the message as well. So 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 10. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word of the Lord, may he add his blessing upon its reading. Let's pray to Lord, we pray that you would be with us now. Give us understanding of your will as it comes to us in the scriptures. And give us power to believe what we hear, to love it all, and to live according to the light in this text. What we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. And what we are not, make us. For the sake and in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> Is it possible to be too strong to be useful in the kingdom of Christ? I ask the question because I think that it is if strength is understood in a certain biblical way. And I get this from the paradox in 2 Corinthians 12, 10. 
When I am weak, then I am strong. When I learn the deep limitations of my own resources and face debilitating hardships that make me cry out for relief, then I am in a place where the strength of Jesus comes and does what I am not able to But when I am strong, self-reliant, confident in my own abilities, forgetful of my need for grace and dependency on grace, then I fail. So, brothers and sisters, let me say to you and to me, let us not be strong in our own eyes. Together, let's boast in weakness and enjoy the power of Christ that rests upon those who call on him to come in strength. You may know that 2 Corinthians was written during a time when its author, the Apostle Paul, was under attack. There were people in Corinth who wanted to discredit him. They belittled his ministry, and they insisted that the church do the same. What an extraordinary thing. What a difficult letter to write. What kind of letter would you write if you were attacked like that? Paul did some really great things in the almost two years he spent with his friends in Corinth. And now, folk were turning against him, calling him names. Still, Paul loved Jesus Christ, and he loved the church. So he wrote the letter. Chapter 12 contains an amazing confession. I don't think there is a more profound self-disclosure of the Apostle Paul in all of his letters than for what we have in these verses. These 10 verses give us the, the highest peak and the deepest valley in the life of Paul. His greatest positive experience with God and his darkest trial, suffering so great. He pleaded three times for Christ to remove it. Paul's testimony has meaning for you and for me. Let's not become proud of our experiences, and let's not despise our suffering. I want us all to receive these lessons under three points, and here they are. The limits of privilege, that's one. <clears throat> the uses of suffering, and what I mean by that is God's way of using the suffering that comes into our lives. And then we'll set our hearts on the Savior and consider the weakness and power of Christ. So the limits of privilege, God's use of suffering, and the weakness and power of our Lord Jesus Christ. So first, the limits of privilege. The Apostle Paul was a special servant of the Lord, wasn't he? God used him to do amazing things and uh, to give us much of the New Testament. We know this. But of course, there is much that Paul did that we know nothing about. In fact, if he were not slandered by his enemies in Corinth, 
we would probably never learn about a certain experience that he had with Christ. So here are his words again. Let me read them to you. These are verses 2 through 4. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. It seems strange to us, doesn't it, that Paul would speak of himself in the third person, but that's what he does. Jesus did this sometimes, didn't he? The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's Mark 10.45. And uh, Jesus was talking about himself in the third person, wasn't he? And it's a good thing that he was, because no one else could have ransomed us. So Paul's words tell a story about himself. And in humility, he uses the third person. He must have had himself in mind because he owns the boasting that came along with the experience. And he did boast. Paul was a, was a boaster. You know. We don't usually encourage boasting, but Paul's was a good kind of boasting, and I want to tell you why. First of all, he was addressing the ungodly boasting of those who were promoting themselves in the church. They presented letters, perhaps lists of references and accomplishments as well, to certify their value as leaders and teachers. They were really something, you see. They had letters. Where are your letters, Paul? Why should we listen to you? You're small, you're ineloquent, why you don't even charge fees for your speaking engagements. What kind of apostle are you? These kinds of accusations were being made. And Christians in Corinth were hearing them and beginning to believe them. So Paul took on the uncomfortable task of listing his own qualifications. You can find them throughout the letter and especially in chapter 11. And when you read them, you will see that they, they do not include fees and letters. There's no list of earnings, no references from satisfied customers, no reports of church planting, successes or sell-out crowds of applauding ticket holders. None of that. He reported on his trials, his weaknesses. God's certification came in the context of suffering. Then consider that even the report of the vision is presented 14 years after it happened. He didn't parade himself as Jesus' best friend and prove it by talking about the vision. He gave his conversion testimony many times, but never this 14-year-old vision, at least not until he feels almost forced to do it in this letter, 2 Corinthians. And finally, remember that Paul 
really was boasting in ways known to the saints throughout history. In boasting in his weakness, he was really boasting in the Lord. That's what he was doing. If you know Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. You boast in that way, dear ones, and you will honor Christ. Now what was this vision? I really don't know. And you don't know either. In fact, Paul himself didn't know completely, did he? In the body, out of the body, he couldn't tell. What he did know, and what he reported in his letter, is that he was drawn up to heaven, the third heaven, as he put it, paradise, and that he heard things that cannot be spoken. What did he hear? Where exactly did he go? How long was he there? How did he get back? We don't know. And you know, it's good that we don't know. This is not an experience that you and I ought to see. It was unique, and for the most part, unknowable to in this life. But what a blessing this must have been for Paul. He enjoyed it. He remembered it as he was able. But he was also put in a place of risk. The risk of inflating the value of the vision and inflating his own value in his own mind. I say that because of what is coming in the next verses. Now, while you and I can't make a claim like his, and we ought not to seek an experience like Paul's, we can, and most of us have experienced special times of blessing from the Lord. Positive, feel-good, spiritual moments when we really enjoy the blessings of God and we may be tempted to think much more of ourselves than we should. God does some great things for you and you begin to own them as if you deserve his favor or are better than other people, or are somehow singled out as privileged. We're all privileged, aren't we? We are the family of God. We have Jesus as our friend, our savior, our brother, and our king. And we have countless blessings because of our adoption into the family of God. But let's never Allow the blessings that come to us to puff us up. Don't let this happen, brothers and sisters. Humbly give thanks. Enjoy what God has done. And boast in your weakness. Paul was a privileged person, a VIP, we might say. But there was risk in this even for Paul. Paul was placed in danger through 
the privilege that had come to him. And the danger was the temptation to boast in his own strength. So God put suffering into his life. And he puts suffering into all of our lives, doesn't he? Let's think about Paul's particular trial, God's design in bringing it. And along the way, if you think of your own trials, those difficulties you're currently facing, you can meditate upon them along the way. Christ uh, sent a thorn in uh, Paul's flesh. It was a messenger of Satan. The text is not unclear about that. But as with all of Satan's intentions, God overruled. He used the darkness for his own good purposes. And in this case, the Lord's purpose was to protect Paul from pride. Verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited, there it is, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, and here it comes again, to keep me from becoming Conceited. My family lived in Uganda for a time, in a remote region called Karamoja. I know many of you know this. My family lived there. You supported us and prayed for us, and uh, we are deeply grateful for those years. And, um, and we lived on your prayers, so we do thank you. The Karamoja is called by some the land of thorns. That's a pretty good name, because it is loaded with thorn trees. The thorns are hard, they are pointy, and they are very strong. The Karamajong people surround their villages with thorn fences to keep out intruders, and I am here to tell you, it is a very effective approach to security. I once got a bloody cut on my balding head, right here, by just walking under a tree and lightly rushing against a thorn. They can hurt, but they can also be managed. Just watch where you're going or where you're stepping, and if a thorn gets you, wash and wait. Healing will come. Paul's image is stronger. He did not want his readers to think that his trial was a manageable irritant. Paul's thorn, some say state would be a better English word for it, I don't know, but his thorn was, was not a mere nuisance. It was an abiding agony. What exactly was it? Again, this is unknown read the studies and collect a nice list of possibilities. There are many who say it was a physical affliction of some kind, but whatever it was, it was painful and it brought Paul to a place of pleading. It must have been really bad because as far as we know, Paul did not repeatedly beg for relief from his other really painful trials, like receiving 39 lashes from his enemies. Five times. Five times. 2 Corinthians 11, 24. 
What was it like for Paul to endure that kind of torture a second time, remembering the feeling of the first? Would you have pleaded for relief if you were faced with a second, third, fourth, and fifth beating? No record of Paul seeking that relief. He might have, of course, but the scriptures don't record it. And yet this thorn, this verse 7 thorn was so painful, so agonizing, that Paul repeatedly begged that Christ would take it away. Christ didn't take it away. It remained. Why did it remain? Let me give you two reasons, two ways that God used suffering in the life of this man. The first way is specifically mentioned in the text. God's design was to keep Paul from being conceited. We've already seen it. And this is not difficult to understand. Christ blessed Paul in ways unknown to anyone else. And he loved Paul too much to allow blessing to stand alone. He combined it with suffering to protect Paul from himself. People of God do not despise the hardships that come to you, and they do come. They are God's loving instruments that he uses to show you that he is great, that you are weak, and that he is strong for you. Because if you experience only positive, affirming, comfortable things, you will begin to think too highly of yourself. And that is far more dangerous than any trial that might come. If everything always goes well, then how will you know that you are trusting Christ? How will you recognize your own weaknesses? And if you don't recognize your weakness, how will you discover Christ's power? You won't. And, and that's the point. It is not that Jesus delights in your pain, not at all. You're never to think that. He is a, a sympathetic high priest, precious truth. He has compassion on you, and he knows exactly how you feel, always, because he was here. He knows. But in his sympathy, he wants you to trust him, rely upon him, and receive power from him. Your weakness and your recognition of weakness is the means that he has given for you to call upon him and receive his power. That's why Paul can say, when I am weak, then I am strong. And weakness exists in many different forms. For Paul, it was a physical weakness, probably, along with a trajectory toward pride, which is common to all of us. I don't think anyone would disagree. For you, it may include other things. But I would be very surprised to learn that there is even one person in this room who is not right now aware of some kind of weakness. Paul's problem wasn't the thorn, as painful as it must have been. That affliction, that thorn, whatever it may have been, was not the real disease. In truth, it was the treatment. And it was the treatment for far deeper conditions. 
namely pride and self-reliance. God's design in this was to protect Paul from pride. That's one thing. The second is this. God uh, did not remove the thorn so that Paul would learn to pray and to rely on grace. And Paul did pray, as you know. And the Lord was listening. The Lord didn't do what Paul begged him to do, and so Paul kept praying. He knew when to pray, and I suppose somehow he knew when to stop praying. We know that Christ heard him, and we know that he answered the prayer because the answer is recorded in the letter. Did you see it? It's verse 9. But he said to me, this is Christ's answer to Paul's pleading, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. There it is. The grace of Christ is sufficient. Do you believe that? It was for Paul. And it is for you. It really is. Never be embarrassed to go to him in weakness. That is Jesus. Rejoice that he will receive you and will provide for you. Do you want the power of Christ to rest upon you? Face your weaknesses. Go to Jesus and plead with him. Not to make your life easy, but to strengthen your faith and your walk with him. I've heard it said that you will learn that Christ is all you need when Christ is all you have. Sometimes God seems to remove much of life's support in order to draw one of his children close. I don't know this personally yet, but I know some people who do. They know it well. Maybe you know some. Maybe you are among them. I should say that Paul did not sin in his prayer. It was good for him to want relief, and it was good for him to pray for relief. You do the same. But life may not shape up the way you want. Go to Jesus and tell him that too. And then rest in his love. Plead for his strength. And rely on his grace, which is always, always sufficient for you. When you are weak, then you are strong. And uh, you are strong because Jesus is strong. But strong is not the only word that describes our Savior. Think with me about the weakness as well as the power of Christ. Does that word surprise you? The weakness and the power. Near the end of the letter, Paul wrote these amazing words. This is 2 Corinthians 13.4. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. Jesus was also weak. Not in every way he was without sin, but in many ways, we might say in every other way, he was weak. His whole life was weakness, despised, rejected, falsely accused, 
He was called a demon, a drunkard, a glutton, an illegitimate child, a Sabbath breaker, a liar, a promise breaker, and a blasphemer. He wept at a funeral and was deeply troubled by the betrayal of a friend. He felt every blow that came to him and every word of mockery hurled at him. Did Jesus feel the weakness that Paul felt and that we all feel? Yes, he did. Is he able to sympathize? Yes. But can he really appreciate what it means to plead for relief the way Paul did three times over? Yes, again. Turn back the clock from Paul's day just a couple of decades in your mind to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus prayed three times for the cup to pass. But with that prayer, with the recognition that his Father's will must prevail, that's the way to pray all the time for all of us. Jesus did not sin in asking because he was willing to accept the will of his Father. This does, by the way, uh, put to rest the idea that you can discern God's leading through feelings of peace. Jesus was in agony as he thought about what was coming. The climax of Jesus' weakness came when he gave his life for your sins. He was crucified in weakness. Not that he had no power, but that he chose not to use his power to destroy his enemies or to escape their judgments. But he submitted to weakness, suffering, and death for you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. The grave was not able to hold him. He rose in power. He lives by power, and he provides strength to all who come to him in weakness. I hope that you believe this and that you can say with Paul, when I am weak, then I am strong. Jesus knows you. He loves you. He is present with you. He is tender toward you. And he will always provide for you. He completely gets how broken the world is and how difficult it is for you and me to live among the pieces. He understands. He sympathizes. And he is pleased to give you the strength you need to face the trials that come. All glory to him. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the promise and the commands that you have given us this morning. Help us to know them, to believe in them, and to follow them. We confess that we are weak and very slow to learn that you are our strength. And so we need you to come, increase our faith, and enlarge our hearts for you, for your word, for your church, 
and for your world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.